in service of Stefan Ozic. Hello, all friends. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Once again, it's an absolute honor and privilege and gift to be bringing you another episode. And I am so grateful to be bringing forth another inspiring, moving, and motivating conversation. This conversation was with none other than Thomas Kellenberger, aka Kuya Tom. Basically, Tom is a devotee, he is a practitioner, he is a NGO founder, and he is a purveyor of service, which this whole podcast is based around. We bumped into each other super spontaneously um, when I was in India, and I couldn't help but want to have him on the conversation. So who was he? Well, basically Kuyatam was an ex-cop, he worked for the uh, police force in Switzerland. Uh, he started an NGO, which is a non-governmental organization. He wanted to raise awareness for underprivileged and poor children in, Ch in the Philippines while he was stationed there with a friend. Uh, and he happened to see these kids and just get so moved that he felt called and he felt he had to do something. Uh, we explore his understanding of empathy we explore the idea and reasons for deciding to want to walk 15,000 kilometers. Yes, right now he is currently 9,000 kilometers into a 15,000 kilometer walk, walking all the way from Switzerland to the Philippines. So we get to the crux and get to the core as to why he is doing this and what it means to go to such extents from a length perspective, but also from a perspective of being with oneself and spending so much time alone. What goes on in the mind? We learn about what it is he's encountered on the way. We talk about his nutrition. We talk about simplicity through suffering. We talk about his ideas of meaning and what meaning means to him and much, much more. I don't want to give away too much, but for me, this is enough to hopefully keep you all engaged and on the edge of your seats because I tell you this is a good and this is a long conversation. We ended up doing it uh, for about two hours plus and he could just talk and he had so much to say which is my basic dream as a podcaster to have someone that can just expound on ideas and just take the conversation away. Also, you may notice that the audio isn't the most pristine because since I'm traveling in India, I didn't actually have gear with me. So we had to record these using our phone microphone. So I apologize for the audio quality, but I think I was able to muster up as best as sound quality as I could. So I hope that you can bear with it. Otherwise, the content um, is nonetheless of the highest quality. So Thanks again for tuning in. I love you all. And also just quickly, as I always say, if you could please, please, please support this podcast only if you wish by liking, by rating and by reviewing and sharing these episodes, because that's one of the best ways for this to be pushed out into a wider audience. So without further ado, I'm presenting to you, Koya Tom. Much love. Well, Koya Tom. 
welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. And the circumstances that unfolded for us to meet were far too uh, <laughs> synchronistic, so to say, as to why we should be here. Um, and I thought this story and where you've gone and where you're going is far too much to let slide. So, yeah, once I, for those listening, I was in a cafe. I'm currently traveling in India and I was in a little cafe in Manali and I happened to overhear this conversation with this man who happened to be Tom with this other gentleman. And he got talking. I heard him saying that he's on this pilgrimage and one thing led to another. And then I was like, well, tell me more. And then here we are. So I'm going to leave that to Tom to explain. But for those listening, um, this is going to be a really exciting, I think, adventurous, so to say, conversation. So I'm glad to be bringing this. And it was quite spontaneous. This wasn't planned. We planned this, what, like a week ago, right? Yeah, I think when we, well, when we met. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, cool. Well, if you could just start off with your name and what Kuya Tom is, because I think that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, my name is uh, Thomas Oliver Kellenberger. I'm from uh, Switzerland and I'm uh, 40 years old. And Kuya Tom is like, um, in the Philippines, you know, uh, they somehow value age and uh, Kuya is like a friendly um, title for, uh, for an older brother. So uh, at my age now, I could be already like a Tito, which would be an uncle. But uh, for some reason, well, people just know me as Kuya Tom. So everybody calls me Kuya Tom in the Philippines. That's why I chose the name for for the project as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. So elder brother is that? So that's just widely regarded within the Philippines. It's quite a respectful yeah, title, you could say. Yeah, it's 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 not a formal title, but it, it yeah. has. Um, if someone calls you Kuya, it's like, uh, yeah, you're you're older. You're not like an older brother, and and it's 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 its meaning is positive. Mm. It's a very positive thing. So um, I I like it. I like it when they call me like this. And um, I would apply for like like for example, children, younger children. They will call their older brothers Kuya, Kuya okay. Tom, Kuya Reese, Kuya whatever. And um, their older sisters, they would call them Ate, Ate Lisa, Ate Marianne. So they, they sort of, it's, it's, it's kind of a very common, very mm. common thing. It's not like a sir, it's not like, a, I don't know, it's not like a title for a, for a very special person, but it's a, it's, it's a kind mm. um, title. Yeah, it's, a positive it's almost meaning. like a f f family, you're kind of like family. It's so yes, like, yes, that's, I think that's, you got it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the testimony then of, the respect these people from the Philippines have for you, and it seems like you've been reciprocating that in this endeavor that you're on. Exactly. I actually, I, I just come to think about it right that like like that right now, when you mentioned it, it's it's true because naturally they would call their uh, biological older brother Kuya, but mm. uh, it doesn't really apply for for strangers. So. Mm. 
by being being um, from Western Europe and having become a kuya to so many people, wow. it's sort of like um, it's an honor to me. Yeah, beautiful. So could we start with that then? Um, I'd like to go back as first we'll we'll talk about um, the NGO and this initiative that you founded and started, which I think in itself is an amazing feat. But then if we could go back a little bit more just about a bit about your story. But I think for now, I'd love to know how you even came to find this NGO, which is a non-government organization to those that don't know the acronym. Um, and what brought you to the Philippines and why? Why did you commence this project? Yeah, I think to, to explain that, I have to go a bit further back. Um, I was always like interested in, in helping people. And um, I originally, I, I studied machine shop engineering in Switzerland, but then I never really liked it. I wanted to work with people. So I eventually became a cop. And as such, I had a lot of um, overtime and my boss urged me to, to go for a vacation. So I actually first went to the Ukraine and that was in 2005. And uh, I was volunteering in a project. They were working with children in street situation from Kiev. And during the, the four weeks of volunteering, I realized that I really love working with children, especially children coming from difficult backgrounds. And um, back in Switzerland, I was planning to visit the Ukraine again. But, uh, you know, sometimes change, plan, plans change. And I happened to move into the Philippine Embassy in Switzerland, in, in, in our capital in Bern. What happened to the tenure with the police force? Did that did that cease, or were you still a police when you went to the Philippines? I was still a still police officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in Bern, in our capital, and I was looking for an apartment there, and I got one at the rooftop of the Philippine Embassy, which is in itself already strange because actually you're not supposed to rent an apartment in an embassy because you're technically you are always um like entering a new country when you go to your apartment because Philippine embassy is, is property of the Philippines. And, um, well, but anyway, they had it rented and there I met some people from the embassy and I became a good friend with one of the attaché. Attaché? Uh, what's what's attaché? An attaché, it's like a diplomat, it's like a title okay. for, uh, for a guy in the, uh, in the embassy, I guess, uh, that their titles are mainly from coming from French attaché. I see. So, uh, yeah, he lived or he used to live. He grew up in Cagayan de Oro. It's a it's a, a big city in the south of the Philippines on the island of Mindanao, which is not known to tourists really because uh, there are some threats by terrorist groups. So all the governments advise uh, people not to go there. So it's not really the place you would travel to, but he convinced me to visit him once he's back. And I eventually did in 2007 with my intentions to go for scuba diving and surfing and just explore the nice places on the island. But then arriving in Cagayan de Oro, we took a cab from the airport to the city center and we passed by the the huge dumping site of the city where they 
had all the the waste from the city coming to and uh from from the cab i i watching out the window i saw um, a lot of children and uh also adults of course like um segregating the the waste on the dump site like getting recyclables which they would eventually sell to junk shops mm-hmm. and make a living from it and when we arrived in the city center i saw a lot of children in street situations like uh sniffing glue sleeping on the on the sidewalk and um and at night uh i also saw miners in prostitution which uh, was very shocking to me and i said i, I instantly felt that um i wanted to get to know these families these children i told him i want to visit this this dumping site and he was like uh, wow so how about the the touristic stuff we were planning for and mm-hmm. i said i'm not so much interested in it anymore wow. I, ju- i just like to to meet these people and and um what do you he, think that what do you think that is like was that something you can reflect on in your life that you were a quite empathetic human being or was that something in you that just a flick a, a switch flicked in you if you reflect back was that something you observed in you throughout your life that you saw these situations uh, and saw the deprivation and saw the hardship and saw, saw the inhumanity and it made you be like i want to tend to that or was it just yeah it, spontaneous it was it, it has been there already it had been there always i think i am quite an empathetic person And I like to help, and that's why I was volunteering in the Ukraine. And and for sure, my experiences in the Ukraine with um, these kind of children and people, uh, I, I'm sure they had a big impact on me. Absolutely. Uh, but I was never planning to start something on my own. Like it would have been, um, you know, oftentimes you you go to places, you you witness poverty uh and you think um you might have uh, empathy for these people but you think uh, well there's nothing i can do or or you feel very limited but uh in in the philippines when when um yeah i think that was just the right moment i was just yes. at, at the right moment in the right place and i i forgot about like uh you can't do anything it was just like i wanted to do anything i, I wanted to do something and, and i wanted to so first step was meeting these people and getting to know them so that's what we did over the course of the next uh six weeks i stayed there i kept visiting actually the dumping site i kept visiting the people in the street and for the dumping site we even needed a special permission from the city mayor but through this connection with the embassy mm. i got that permission so it was uh first time we went there it was with um uh members of the city hall and they told me not to get down from the car but of course i did <laughs> i went down and i i met these people and to my surprise i mean the dumping site is the the last place you wanted to be and it was like 42 degrees in summer and it was very dusty and stinky from all the rotten food and stuff that that goes to that dump site but then when i went down to meet the people 
a bunch of children came running to me towards me and, and they were smiling they were happy to to have a visitor i was like this was like very touching to me i said said to myself how can they how can they be so friendly and and so happy i mean here i am uh, the guy from the west uh, who is apparently quite wealthy otherwise he couldn't be traveling around and and uh, now you have these children who have nothing they just live from their hand into their mouth every every day they have to make a living from from trash and they also they literally lived on the dumping site like their settlements were like around the dumping site and, and on the uh, areas where the where, where they already closed uh, like like the dump but uh, they were the houses were built on on literally on the dumping site so it's, it's the least the, the last place you want it to be especially as a tourist especially, it's the last place it is yeah yeah it is. not just as a tourist I mean, but who wants to anyone there? any yeah but yeah 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 so it was wow. so touching to me how they received me as, as 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 their visitor they were friendly they were happy to to see me and and um and i think it touched me so deeply that uh, i really felt like i wanted to do something and i wasn't thinking too much how i was just i just knew i wanted to do something and, and I, I shared it with my friends and he said, uh, well, if you are into this now, I, I, I want to introduce you to some friends I have. So he introduced me to the locals. So your who, friend could see that you're being super receptive and you're open to exploring this more and getting to know these people. Yeah, exactly. More. I think there was no doubt. I mean, absolutely. We had all these plans with scuba diving, with surfing, with visiting, like island hopping, and and he 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 grabbed it immediately. He he realized, okay, Tom is now not into this anymore. He's just uh, he wanted to explore the the situation of these people more, and, and he wanted to get to know these these people who apparently lived in um, uh, how do you call that the in a very bad situation yeah, yeah, yeah. we're very poverty stricken he would um, have appreciated that too and that's probably why he must have been so willing to will introduce you to more people because he would have seen you this foreigner who he's just kind of got to know who he likes who had all these plans and he probably saw on you that well no tom tom doesn't want to do this tom wants to actually go deep into this he, he would have probably really cherished that because he would have witnessed that wow, you're caring about my culture, you're caring about my family, you're caring about my kin, which for him must have moved him. Exactly, and, and, and he, he also, he became part of it in the beginning. He was like, he was not just the, the link to other locals, he was also a member of our board in, when, we, when we started off. Later on, he, he said, um, yeah, I think now you're, you're good, I'm going to step out, but in the very beginning, he sort of he he he, he took on the mission himself yeah. as well. So I was sort of sparking a fire, and uh, he and then Virchi, she's the co-founder, and was his uh, longtime friend, uh, whom he introduced to me, and I was then also staying at her place for the for the next five weeks, and uh, she and her husband. 
they agreed the, to, to, to help with this project. And um, I, I, I said, I cannot promise anything. I don't, I mean, I have no funding yet. They have no uh, organization yet, but I said, I, I, I am committed to provide for some children so that they can go to school. Mm. That was really when we talked about it, how could we help uh, mm. these children? Uh, so, so, sorry, just quickly, at what point from when you went to the um, dump site and then your friend realized, okay, I'm gonna introduce you to more people, from that point to this point you're talking about now, where did you realize that, okay, I wanna create some form of foundation here or some project? At what was it almost like spontaneous? It was instant. Wow. I mean, we, we talked uh, the first days. We talked about it. Right? I told him, I, I, I feel like I'm going to stay here for longer and I really want to do something. And I, I had all these ideas like, uh, let's start an NGO, let's start a, an organization, something what they had in, in the Ukraine where I was volunteering. I said, if it's possible there, why shouldn't it possible be here? Mm. And, and I knew, of course, you need um, local people. You cannot do that. I mean, I had to go back to Switzerland. I had to work again. But I said, I'm very much um, committed to this and, and I wanted to do this. And he said, um, yeah, he, he feels it. And he also wanted to help um, these people. He wanted to do something meaningful as well. And uh, he felt that this friend of him uh, Virgie and, and her husband, they might be on the boat as well. And, and they, when, when I told them about it, they were also somehow moved, they were touched by it. And they said, yeah, that's what actually, um, they, they are members in a church and they said, that's what church is supposed to do. We're mm -hmm. supposed to reach out to these people and, and uh, help them to have a better, uh, you know, have better chances, better options in their lives. And, um, we started right from the beginning, like yeah. What was yeah? What was the first step, like getting to know them? Yeah. Telling well, first step like I was getting for me was getting to know the the people on the dump on the street. I got their names. I I remember if if a child would tell me his or her name, I'd never forget it. I mean, I'm not so good with names usually, but uh, with these children, it was something like. They could tell me their name, wow. where they live, and then I would not forget that. It was just like saved in my in my memory, and um, and I kept visiting them. and And he came with me um, to translate in the beginning, and later on uh, on the dumping site, there was um, was like a high school student. She knew um, more or less English, and she translated for me as well. So I got help from from the local community and Virchi, the co-founder, she, uh, she was working at that co time. Co-founder of this? Of, of this organization. What yeah, was her name, sorry? Virchi. Virgelia de Mata. Cool. <laughs> so she was working at the time, but every, every night when I would go to her place where I stayed overnight, we would have conversations until like 1, 2 a.m. Planning, uh, planning, uh, being excited about this, and and uh, thinking what should be the the steps taken, and uh, education was at at the very beginning. It was became one of the priorities. We said uh, we want to do something that um, we want to provide like sustainable help and and just feeding, uh, 
feeding these people is not the solution. They need to be self-sustainable. So what? how can we help them to become self-sustainable? We have to educate the children. That's that's the way. So, but then how how can we educate them when they are in this um, dire situation? So, of course, we need like social programs um, to, to support them so that their, their needs can be covered. Also emotional needs, like uh, some of these children were living on the street without even their parents. Some of them were already into prostitution. So they have, they're not thinking about going to school, of course. They have so much baggage in their life. They're just trying to survive it's, and get food yeah, and shelter. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be their first priority. Exactly, yeah. So, so and then from there, when, when we can help them to provide for their basic needs, uh, not just materially, but also like having a safe home, um, also having um, psychosocial interventions mm -hmm. if needed. And uh, so when we can from there transition to start dreaming, mm -hmm. from there transition to go to school so that you have education for for better chances in, in your future. So that that was that was the direction, that was the plan. We will help them and one of the priorities should be they should come to this point where they realize it's important for me to go to school because that's the only way I can have a better future and a self-sustainable future because we didn't want, to, of course, we didn't want them to be um, um, relying on us for, for, for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. So, yeah, and, and, and there was all this planning and even even the the name for the organization, um, it, it, it was in the first week, I think. We had this name, it's, it's very simple, and uh, we were thinking about other things, like you could use a, a, a local name, something in, in, in their language, in Visaya, which uh, would sound good, but nobody exactly. understands the it. Reality so, is, island right. kids, Philippines, it's very simple, and, and you can remember it, and... Uh, yeah, we, the, the logo, we started to <laughs> to draw uh, some some drafts about the logo. You can't find it on that card, okay. I think. But um, anyway, it was very, very exciting time. And, and what um, was the name of the NGO? Island Kids Island Philippines. Kids Philippines. Yeah. Simple. Very simple. And, and uh, okay, it has to do with children, it has to do with the Philippines. Yes. And... and um, so there was all the planning and there was no money yet. I mean, just my, when I returned to Switzerland. At after, what point was this? Like what year was this once you'd kind of really established a 2007. name? 2007. 2007. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is all just in that first year, because you get there in 2007. Yeah, actually, when, when I left uh, after six weeks, we had the first four children. Oh, wow. In, 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 and Virgie and Robert, the, the couple, they said uh, for the start they are willing to to offer their house you know to to accommodate some kids and and she said uh, she's afraid that um, she's afraid to accept boys so she just wanted to have girls in the beginning uh, because robert her husband is a seaman and he would be um leaving again she'll be alone and she will be alone okay she had two nieces staying with her um 
and she said, uh, boys is too risky for now, but um, I will accept girls. So we started with four girls and uh, I left uh, in May. What? I went back to Switzerland and uh, the project was actually already established. Like there was yeah. so we, there was this building in which was uh, provided by Virgie and Robert. Then we had the first four children. I went back to Switzerland and for the first four children I would provide financially from my salary. And back in Switzerland, I, I told my mother, uh, Mom, I'm going to do this. And she was, she knew that I was very serious about it. And uh, she said, OK, I'm, I'm, I will help you. And we started an, an association in, in Switzerland for fundraising purposes and uh, invited people to join us, people who wanted to volunteer, who wanted to give their expertise and time. Um, what was to... the vetting process for that? People that were just keen, did you just reach out via what, your community and online and your friends, your peers and people that would respond? That was enough for you to realise that they were willing to be donors, so to say? It happened very naturally. Yeah, like it sounds me like coming it. back from the Philippines. I of course I, I I started to share to all of my friends and relatives about it, and um, well, as it as it often happened, your friends might not be so interested in this. I mean, they were they were touched. They said, "Well, it's a good idea," but it's not my thing. Okay, it's not their thing, but then suddenly people uh, who heard about it from my friends or from my mother or from people we didn't even know some some somehow they they heard about it and then they they contacted me and they said uh, oh i would like to be part of this so you got like a new circle of of um, of people who whom you haven't known before it, it, it none of my friends actually joined the the organization in the beginning it were all strangers actually and and then um some people from the workplace of my mother, because my, my mother, she she shared to her working colleagues and they shared it to others. And then suddenly people came and said, oh, I would like to join this. What is this your son is doing? And um, by joining, what does that necessarily mean? That they support you financially or they spread the message or what? How did that support present itself? Some became member of the board, like you need a financial officer, yep. you need a secretary, like wow, uh, you great. know, like good on you, like a true and, proper and, business structure, you could say, yeah, in yeah, a way, yeah. which is you, yeah. you need the bylaws, all yep. of that. So, I didn't even, I was never member in any association, mm. I didn't know how to do these things. So, I, I went, um, when I was in Switzerland, I went to this uh, organization that was active in the Ukraine where I went for volunteering and I told them, you know, I wanted to do something in the Philippines and uh, I have no idea what, what should be in the bylaws so that, uh, you know, with the fiscal system and everything that, uh, that they accepted because you should go tax-free as, as an NGO, of course. Mm. So they advised me, they told me, look, these are the articles you need. And so I, draw, I, I wrote my, our, our bylaws so ex explain the bylaws. I don't, I'm actually a bit ignorant. Does that mean laws prior to commencing the organization? What's required pre? 
Yeah, so you, you need the organization structure. Yes. Then you need a, like uh, in Switzerland, you need a, a founding protocol. That, I see. Uh, like a meeting and okay, these will be the members, the officers yes. of the of the of the board, and that's their function. And then you need the bylaws. So in the bylaws, it has to be very clear that the, any funds raised, for example, will be used solely for charitable um, okay. purposes and in case that your organization uh, will be resolved you will have to give all your donations to another NGO with the same um, with a similar cause has to be so there has to be certain um, Particles, uh, particle, ar articles in, 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 in your in your um, in your bylaws, of course, so that the, your organization will be exempted from taxes, and the donors who make donations to your organizations they can deduct actually the their donations from yeah. their tax. Mm -hmm. So so that's because this can be something that uh, some people they might also be uh, motivated to do donations. So that they can deduct it from tax. Mm. That's one of the. So, there are rules. Of course. And I was not aware of the. I, okay. I I was aware of it that there were rules, but I didn't know what were the rules. So I needed to educate myself about it. But this happened in the first two weeks after returning to Switzerland. I was so fired for it. I wanted to be immediately want to happen immediately. You want this? Yeah, and and, and then. Um, so this was established. We had our uh, association now, but we had no donors yet. Mm. So again, we, we, we created like a flyer, printed it and um, gave it to people who were interested in it. And some started to donate, but in the first year it was very hard. There was not much, um, were not much funds coming in. And despite that, uh, I was having like um, over messenger i was talking with virgie uh quite often no skype that time or oh, skype yeah and um we were making plans for the first like uh, community learning center uh to help more children so even without having funds we were having all these plans and some of the board members in switzerland they said, uh, oh my God, your plans are so big. Uh, you are too enthusiastic about it and there is no funds. So some of them, they lost faith and they actually left the mm -hmm. board because they said uh, it's, it's, it's too much yeah. you, you're planning. You want to build a, a learning center next year. We don't even have, uh, we just got like a $1,000 donation in total <laughs> how are you going to do that and i said I, I believe it will happen it will come and then a guy um from the police he shared my story with uh, someone from a newspaper in switzerland it's like uh, one of the biggest newspapers and and and, and he was interested in it and he wrote the, like one page article about the project and put some pictures I, I made from, from the dump there in the Philippines uh, on it. And then the article had like, uh, there was a good echo. People started to search for me. They started to look for me. And they, it's very, it's very funny because they, they, I didn't, there was no phone number or address, but they just knew he is a cop. So what they called, they called the cop 
I mean, they called the police. They called our uh, call center, uh, like the 9/11, and then they asked, uh, "Who is this guy who was in the in the news article?" And um, one of the persons who saw the article, he was working for the Swiss television, and he then got interested to do like uh, it was just a, a three-minute uh, report, mm. and he was asking me um, if I also have video material, and I had video material from the Philippines so I, I provided that one and, and he made an interview with me when I was in uniform like um, on duty driving the police car he would interview me and, and then at home together with my mother and this was uh, broadcasted on at six o'clock in the in the evening it's just before the, the, the prime the time. evening news prime, prime time. time yeah so when people saw this the echo was even bigger and, and my, my letterbox was like full of, of, of letters and some even um, sent like uh, cash donations to my letterbox. And, and again, people called the police and, and at the call center, they told me you're gonna, you're gonna have like an official number or something because people keep calling the, the emergency number to, to look for you. Diverted <laughs> from actual emergencies. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, so donations came in and we were able to build our first community learning center. Wow. After 10 months, we started to, wow. to construct that one. And, and what, were the, what were the people on the board like when the ones that were a bit apprehensive were like, wow, okay, Tom is, Tom is gang. Did it kind of um, hearten them a bit more and warm them up more to it and be like, okay, I'm actually... Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, uh, you always have people on the board. They they believe really in the in the in the mission and uh, and they are supportive no matter what. And and others they they lose faith. But yeah. I mean, it's fine. Understandable. I, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. They they um those who left the board earlier, they later on wrote me that uh, while well, they were amazed how it really yes. happened and. Um, yeah, they couldn't believe it when it when it when it really took off and uh but we are still in good terms i mean everybody is is free to to stay or leave Absolutely. but you of course you need those people there are a few people who really they stick with you from the very <coughs> beginning they were with us and they always believed in it so that's what you need you and, and i try to in anything you do in life, whether it's a project like this or, or walking from Switzerland to the Philippines, you can only lose when you stop. So you might have like setbacks, you might, you might fall down, you might um, have injuries, whatever. But as long as you keep standing up and continue walking or believing in, 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 in your project, you will not lose or you have not lost yet At least that's, that's the point it's it's like you you have to be um it takes perseverance yes. you never give up you just keep going it reminds me um, of michael jordan's quote um quote you only miss the shots you don't take you, that's you're, it. you're, yeah, you're yeah. definitely gonna miss the shots you don't take that's and it. it's almost a similar sentiment yeah so so you need these people who 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 endure hard times who uh, who who have this like attitude of not giving up mm. 
And um, I'm very glad that, that um, I have found people like that in the Philippines for the operations and also in, in Switzerland for the fundraising, which is very essential. We cannot do anything without, uh, without having funds. So, yeah, what, what, what was it that I wanted to say? So, after one year, it really took off. And, uh, this was 2008. That was 2008, yes. And then 2009, I got invited by an industrial company. They also saw the, the report in the TV. And uh, they invited me to their head office in Zurich. And they, they wanted to, the owner wanted to listen to what is my vision. Mm. And I told him I would like to establish a children's village with uh, several houses where we can provide uh, shelter and full-time care for children coming from street situations who have ex uh, experienced abuse, sexual abuse, severe neglect. And I would like to operate um, a school, like we had already one learning center, but it was getting too small. We needed a bigger one. Because you're getting so more children. We were getting more children, yeah. At that time, I think we had 175 175? In, in 2009, yes. Wow. And uh, I was still living in, in Switzerland. I would go to the Philippines like three times a year. Do yeah. a lot of overtime in the and police. Yeah, I was going to say, you were still back in force. And and then... Yeah, yeah. But the project was getting too, too big for me to to handle it just mm. as a as a volunteer actually, mm. and it was perfect timing because this guy said um, so this guy the owner of this industrial company the Galvaswis, he said uh, well would you be willing to focus on your project full time, and I and said you probably hadn't been asked that at that point too right, like someone coming forward to be like well. Are you willing to do this full time? Yeah, and it and was that, something that was in my heart. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how? how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was for for the past two years. I was like, because um, I was getting really exhausted. I was doing a lot of overtime, the work at the police, and then going to the Philippines three months a year. <clears> I was still working a hundred percent in Switzerland, but I had this arrangement with my chief that uh, I could work. You know, extra time on, on weekends, on, on uh, and then I could take this time and go to the Philippines three months a year to, to, to monitor, to plan, to help with the implementation of the projects. And um, so it was on my heart to focus on it 100%, but I didn't want to get the salary from the organization. I wanted to do it um, voluntarily. But of course, I need to live from something. Absolutely. So here comes this guy, invites me, listens to me uh, a whole day. I was like uh, in Zurich, I was at their office at 10 o'clock. And we were talking about until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. And uh, he, he then said, would you like to focus on this one 100%? And I said, yeah, of course, I wanted to focus on it full time. Uh, but I need to live. And then he said, that's the point. Because if you are willing to give up your job in the Philippines, uh, in, 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 in Switzerland and move to the Philippines and focus on it full time, then we will provide for you. We will support you financially. Wow. So with that offer, I said, uh, okay, that's it. I'm going to resign. And it was like a week later, I resigned from the... I imagine your 
your officers or your superiors in the force would have been like, oh, I was wondering when this would happen. It wouldn't have been a surprise to them. Yeah, right? it wasn't. Actually, no, my chief said that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Though I, I, I love my job. I, yeah, I like it sounds it. The fact you were even willing to work the overtime and it showed your loyalty to the force, which I think is quite admirable. And it also ties into your character for you to commence this NGO, that it ties into that. It's all kind of interlinked, you know? Like you're, it's like you're designed, you're the person designed to do this. Hate to give it so much weight, but that's the reality because here you are, what, uh, what, 15 years later and now you're on this unbelievable, you, people, for lack of a better word, crazy journey and it's just how it's worked. <laughs> it's meant to be, I think. It is, it is. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there because that in itself is just such a like thrilling engaging and admirable story and the fact that you just followed your heart because it sounds like you did you you didn't necessarily have any expectation you kind of just went forth you saw these children in this dumpster um dump site whatever you want to call it a place where human beings shouldn't exist and then something in you flicked and you had this willingness to be like no i want to go deeper down here, I want to go down this path and then fast forward three years and then here you are having this meeting with the CEO of this big company willing to become what you could say a sole donor and so from that point, 2009, because I was reading on the blog, it was around 2014 where you had, I may have misread this, that you had some students that were um, in universities or was that your long-term aim that you wanted these children to then go to universities and get a higher education. Yeah, the, the, the vision was like providing not just basic education, of course, basic education to everyone, but then for those who have the capability, they should be able to study. I mean, they should be, they should have equal chances. That was the point. Why, why shouldn't they have equal chances with uh, children from wealthy families? And, um, there were some people, they questioned that, or they said, well, uh, is it really necessary to send um, send these children to university? I so said, why not? <laughs> it's, it's absolutely necessary because those who, who will actually uh, raise from, 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 from dire poverty into having a university degree, they will eventually bring about change. You know, they will bring uh knowledge ideas fresh ideas back into their community that was the hope and and this will slowly transform the community that's that's the concept and and uh i always believe that this was would happen but it takes time it takes like a whole generation two generations it's it's and now we can see this happening we have first we have now um our first university um, degree holders and some Amazing. of them are, are working with us again now. They were wow. working with um, other, other employers and then decided to join us. We have some of our teachers were children from the dump, from the street. Some of our social workers were coming from that background and now they are the ones um continuing or carrying this 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 vision and the mission of our organization so 
that's what we predicted or that's what we were, were thinking about in the first place that uh, it would eventually later on it should live on in in the children um, so it's becoming this self-sustaining yeah. sphere of everyone working on themselves and then coming back into the organization to propel it forward it's like an ecosystem it is yeah, an yeah, ecosystem. Yeah. and then we had a uh, we also had volunteers from Switzerland, from Germany, going to the Philippines, working with the kids. And uh, one, one, one guy, he was a boy when, when, uh, when we started. He's grown up and, and he happened to marry one of these volunteers and they are together in Switzerland now and they still volunteer for the, for the association in Switzerland. So it takes like, um, it, it becomes something so many things happen yeah. from yeah. there that uh, becomes bigger than you yeah 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 it's mm. it's and i am shrinking i mean i'm not that important any longer i i, I am well but that's why we're here to <laughs> talk to show that that's not the case but i hear you brother and it's it's honestly admirable and to those listening i think you could all agree it's already just for what you've presented as in itself it should be heard more and it should be shouted from the rooftops because you're just one person and the fact is you've touched so many lives and I always hear this adage that oh, I'm too small to make a difference but I think that's total bullshit and it's a total belittlement of one's true potential and in a way you've basically quashed that adage because here you are one man but the thing that, that, that on the same token that you couldn't have done this alone, any, any great feat that's beyond you, that's bigger than anyone, it's never done alone. I think it's an illusion that you always need that community around you. And it sounds like you had that. And I'm curious with Vir Virche, Virche, Virchi, Virchi, yeah. and Richard, the husband, uh, Robert, Robert. Robert yeah. So are they still in and a part of us? Yes, or, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Virgie, when when um, when I resigned in Switzerland and I moved to the Philippines, she was still uh, like volunteering actually for the organization, and she was working at the same time in the management of a construction company. And in two thousand seventeen, my my mother got uh, got she, she, my mother was sick with cancer, and. Um, I saw that the time would come I would return back to, to Switzerland mm -hmm. and we decided that uh, Virgie would resign from her job and become our executive director in the Philippines and do this full-time as well. So she was eventually uh, being one of the founding members, she eventually um, left the board, so to say, to become the, the director, the executive director of the, of the organization of the operations in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's, she's now full-time, the director. Uh, Robert, her husband, still as a seaman, sometimes he is around, sometimes he is um, working uh, abroad. And some of the founding members we had also in the beginning are still with us, like our financial officer in the Philippines. Some of them are, are still with us. And 
just as you said, you cannot do something alone. You might initiate something, you spark something, and then you need all these people who in, in whatever way contribute to it. I always tell our members in, in Switzerland, because some of them say that, uh, oh, well, my role is not so important. It is. It's no matter how small yeah. your contribution is. And then our donors, of course, where the money comes from, it's, it's very essential. Mm. Every year I keep writing them um, in, in our like uh, yearly report how important they are, because we cannot do anything without, without the the funding it's 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 very essential so you have to look at the whole system and 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 it's actually for me i realized it's better um to shrink so what i said before yes. it's it's not as as a as a founder of something it's not supposed to be that you will be always there at the at the top you yes. know and, and having all these responsibilities and everybody relies on you this is not uh, that's what I believe is not the good way to run an organization actually a good way I think is when you accept the fact that you need to your importance needs to, to decline and and the people around you they you have to help them to grow they should be and then eventually later on the kids when they take over the the, the organization so you have to be uh, ready you have to be ready at any time to to be there for the project and at the same time you have to be ready to actually step back wow. and and um, that's sometimes the challenge because we we try to hold on to things Absolutely. and and it's like it's like a parent right when when your parents raise your children you always want to be the biggest overseer the one that's leading them you're at the helm of this child and there's a point where the parent must step back and that child needs to become their own human being exactly it's very important mm. so you yeah, it's really like a parent you have to be there when you're needed mm. but when you're not step back mm. let let things um, unfold uh, naturally and and so when i left uh in in um in in 2020 I went back to Switzerland to be there for my for my mother when when she was really uh, very sick. And this was two thousand and seventeen. Two thousand and seventeen, we was when she initially. We, yeah, we, we knew that, um, but then she had um, several treatments, and and eventually it would turn out cancer is cancer. So uh, when I knew that I I gonna go back for a longer time, even two thousand seventeen, I started to do. Um, longer trips to, to Switzerland. I went there like twice a year, had more time with my mom. Um, the operations were run by Virgie and the team, of course. And with all those partnerships we have, uh, we have now we have partners like uh, UNICEF, Save the Children. The government has been a long time partner now. And, um, and I, I started to step back from the operations until 2020 uh, when I really moved back to Switzerland for some time I, I totally your mom's half was yes yes mind. so I totally stepped out from the operations and, and just uh, remained like in the strategic planning mm. and then of course the fundraising but then when when my mother died um, there was the question show so what should I do now will I stay 
in Switzerland, um, work there, start a new life there, and just mainly see to it that the fundraising is going, is continuing. Um, or should I go back to the Philippines? And I was for some time working in, in Switzerland. I was then working for one year actually in an institution also working with um, children coming from difficult backgrounds. And I, it was a good employment. I liked it. And um, it Sorry, was, was that working for another organization? Yes, in Switzerland. In Switzerland, Switzerland in, in okay. um, uh, it was just part time, it was like 70% because I needed time also to do continue Absolutely. the fundraising, the, the strategic planning with the board in the Philippines, everything. And then somehow I felt like, uh, okay, I love Switzerland. I like my job right now. Everything is fine. I have my friends, but something is pulling me back. Mm. I, I really missed my um, advocacy in the Philippines. I really missed working with um, the children there. And there was again the question, so, so what would you do? Go back and then, you know, uh, become again part of the management there. I think it doesn't really work because you already have your, you have your local team now running the whole thing. So me going back there and claiming back um, leadership, I think it wouldn't be the right thing to do. So I was thinking, what, what are you going to do in the Philippines then? And then I thought, well, there is still so much need and there is still potential to provide uh, more help. So why wouldn't I start a second project? And then suddenly I, that was the solution. I got excited about it. I felt like, yeah, that's it. You have your operations running now. Things are going well. So when you go back within the same organization, you start a second project. And that's, uh, so, so just before we go down that route, because this yeah. will obviously lead us into this <laughs> yes. project you're on now, this immense, beautiful project. That, um, just to talk a bit about your mum, it sounds like she, you, you guys had a really beautiful relationship and she had such an impact on you. Um, with her passing, it sounds like that was a real impetus for this next stage. So can we talk a bit about your mum and like, what, what that was like being raised by her. Because she obviously, and I'm assuming your father or whomever else raised you alongside your mother, that you're, you're who you are in a way because of your parents. I firmly believe that in life, that you really are a reflection. You're a mirror. And I can't help but think that your mum, if we could talk about her a bit, if that's okay with you. Sure. As yeah. to where, where you came from, it obviously must have had a big part from your mother. So what was her what was her part to play, so to say, in shaping you and and this character that we're presented with now? <laughs> well, I first of all I, I am from a broken family. So okay. my parents when, when I was five, they uh, divorced, they got divorced. And um I have I had a good relationship to both of my parents. And uh I love them dearly of course i was spent more time with my mom she was raising me like as a, as a single mother uh, me and my sister and we aside from being my mother she also became like uh, my best friend 
wow. so to say. And um, when when I started this project, she was very essential too. So she was. We were always like sort of together in 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 doing things. Uh, my mother though is not adventurous at all. Mm-hmm. My mother is more. She wants things to be um very structured, within very organized. Order. Within her order. Yeah, exactly. I find my mum's um, very similar. My mother, she originally she was a teacher. Uh, later on, she was a um, uh, personal assistant to um, directors of different organizations. So she's really good in, in putting things, uh, keeping things in order. But she wouldn't take a risk. And uh, I think my dad is the opposite. My dad is like, uh, he lives in Sierra Leone since um, 10 years now, I think. He's married with uh, Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone, West oh, Africa. Wow. Yeah. He he moved there at the age of uh, sixty three, <laughs> with his. Uh, he wow. has a wife from there, but so he is the guy who really takes the the risk, um, and uh, he's very adventurous. Now he's getting older, of course, but uh, he's still. I mean, who at that age moves to one of the poorest regions of the world? And, um, at 63. At 63, yeah, yeah. Well, that's my dad, and okay. um, of so course, it's a bit of, bit of both, then. Yeah, yeah. There are both. Of course, we are like, like you said, we are like a mirror of of <laughs> our amazing. parents, people around us. Yeah. It's like, um, and my dad, he also, uh, he was the one who brought me to the mountains, like when I was. Um, even when I was very young, he would always go with me to the to the mountains, and um, so through him, I think I got this passion for for mountaineering, mm. and uh, from my mother, I got more the the part like um, think first before you do something, so it's not always like head on, but yeah, I think with this. With both, I had a, a good relationship, but of course, when, when my mother passed away, it was for me, it was the most dramatic experience in life, although I, I knew this would come. I mean, I had to accept it. It was obvious that she would, uh, that she would leave us, and um, I was glad that I could be there for her when she needed me most in that final stage, uh, take care of her so that she could actually die at home. That was her wish. But... After her passing away, I I really felt okay. I want to go back, but I need some time. And then I I realized I had this um, long time ago. I, I loved trekking, mountaineering in my free time, yeah. and with my hectic schedule in the Philippines, I I didn't really have the time to do that much when I was there and I felt that maybe this is the time for me to to do a pilgrimage because I was thinking about it for even when I was younger I was dreaming about doing the Jack Jacobs um, yeah, Santiago, de, Santiago Compostela. de Compostela pilgrimage and then this was the first since idea since you were a child since you were young since I was young yeah and I, this and this came upon you could say from the mountaineering with your father that yes, inspired yes, that yes, yes. urge yes so so uh uh, after my mom left us, this came to my my mind. I would like to do something like that. 
before I return. Because I said, now is the time. I'm not yet there. I'm still uh, in Switzerland and I am not needed really there. Operation is running. So I can take some time for myself and I can do something for myself like this, this track. And I was thinking about the Santiago, um, the Compostela. That just for those listening, that's basically a pilgrimage about a thousand kilometers. The, the route he's talking about, the St. Uh, St. James, St. Jacob's Way. St. Jacob's Way. Um, yeah, yeah. It begins from the south of France, St. Jean Pierre de Port, and you go through the Pyrenees and you go along the whole northern region of Spain to the coast of Finisterre. It's I've done it personally, which um, was incredibly profound. So, this is actually a reason that um, Tom and I even had this connection was that we both were like, wow. He had the desire, I'd done it, and then but then now he's done this one where it's what probably 10 times the length. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a good a, a bit of a, a bit of a change, but yeah, as you're saying, sorry, Tom. Yeah, so I was thinking about that one, but then I felt like, well, many people are doing it, and it's not really the direction I am planning to go, so I'm going planning to go back to the Philippines. So why wouldn't I walk there? And then obviously there is water, you cannot walk over water. But uh, I said, well, let's check the map. And, and I, I realized I can actually walk, I could walk all the way from Switzerland to Vietnam. And then from there, uh, set over to the north of the Philippines by either boat or plane. And then from north to south, I, I can walk um, most of the distance there are two two islands where you have to take a boat for one hour a ferry but the rest you can actually walk looking yeah looking at the map i've got a little um illustration of the card he gave me when we met yeah it's you you could say that um 90% of it more is land by foot yeah it's like that last what well, 5% where you're going to encounter waters that's it yeah so then i felt like okay um that's a long one and I cannot just, if, if I leave for that long, uh, I have to somehow combine it. I mean, there is still the, the, it's not the burden, but there is the responsibility with the fundraising. Yes. And because of COVID, we were, we had to cancel most of our fundraising activities. Like we used to have benefit concerts. We used to have, um, you, you know, I would like, I, I would used to, I was used to speak in, in churches or, or events where, where I talked about our projects and it was all cancelled. And then I said, well, if I go for such a long pilgrimage, I might as well combine it with uh, walking for a cause so I can make this a fundraising activity in itself. Um, then I said, that's it. So I was fire again. <laughs> it was like in, like in 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like I had this conflict first and then, okay, this is the solution. Make it the fundraising event. And So what, from that point, what begins? Like, do you just instantly get down to the logistics? So the time, the duration, how you secure the funding, how you secure the donations, how you plan when it comes to like the social media, keeping up to date, like how, what was the first step from such an immense task ahead? 
what what were the first few steps that you felt? Because I imagine the mind would have been super excited and yeah. it would have been going in every direction. How did you kind of bring yourself back in and actually start the planning? What was your first kind of initial moves? First step was uh, telling my 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 the board members in Switzerland yeah. about my idea and also in uh, in the Philippines um, that this was what I would like to do and and I wanted their approval or I, I was asking them um, can we can you tell me what you feel about it because it was able if they would have said I oh, will be gone for for 20 months and uh, you just expect us to to run the show here no we don't like that then I I would have maybe given it up I don't know I, I wanted to listen to them but then actually all of them uh, uh, some were hesitant but most of them agreed and some were like oh it's always the same with you you come up with something like that but uh, we believe that you you can actually do it if if you if you if you wanted to do it so they they trusted it's 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 again for me it was like uh, confirmation that they still trust me they're still with me somehow and that was very good so of course the motivation was even bigger then and then first steps uh, well I said wow that's quite a thing this distance so let's search for someone who did something similar so I was looking for guys who who, who did something similar and I found one he walked from Switzerland to the border with China so he was like um, it was sort of a, a similar route shorter though but it was my direction and it was he was going through many countries I would go through so I called up this guy I found his number and I called him and I said listen um, I want to do this and I, I, I saw that uh, you did something you you walked to, to China and can we meet and then he said yeah sure come so two days later I was sitting in his garden we were having barbecue and the beer and uh, he, we were talking about his experiences and he helped me then plan plan Map out, out. The, 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 the route yeah what was his and, what was his reasons for such a walk such a trick why did he do that he was also raising funds actually okay. for for uh, world vision in in yep. in um, Vietnam he was okay. supporting a child a child there like he was like okay. a sponsor of a child for many years and he felt like um, doing some fundraising for right. for that organization and uh, also because he loves trekking so that was the first thing I did I think and then right. I said well uh, I might as well do like a try trial so, so like a training I, run like a training run yeah, yeah. so I, I i decided to walk uh, switzerland from north to south because when i did treks i used to do like three or four days treks but never for such a long yes. time and i figured out switzerland from north to south would be about uh, nine to ten days so let's try that what kind of materials do i need um and, and switzerland is quite a good um uh ground for for a tri trial because um so extreme the topography have, is so yeah, extreme. You have the, the mountains and everything so there was still snow on on um on the mountains and i said well let's let's see how that works and then it was it was fine 
I, I saw that actually I'm capable, I, I think I'm capable of doing it. Mm. But then I, I, I knew, okay, this it will be for fundraising. I needed, I need a support team. So I started to contact people whom I believe could be um, very uh, helpful. So there's this one guy who, who was working for the press whom I knew from earlier, like from the newspaper article and the, the TV and everything. And I called him and I said, I need you. <laughs> so he said, what is it that you want to do now? I said, I want to walk to Vietnam and then the Philippines mm -hmm. and I want to raise funds with it. So we need to spread the news. So, okay, he was, a, he was, he was on board. Um, I have a friend, she's a physiotherapist for, for um, professional sportsmen. Yeah. So I called her and I said, how, how do I prepare for something like this? And then she made a um, training plan with me. Yeah, I was going to ask that, so, like with the training plan, how, how long before you went and from this point did you actually plan in preparation specifically from a training perspective? Because on the on one hand, training for this you almost can't train for it because the the duration is the training in itself like you can't really prepare yourself to walk 15,000 kilometers by walking 15,000 kilometers you have to <laughs> you'd have to probably get probably only a five percent of that so in that preparation was that how long of a span are we talking months are we talking a year how long exactly before you decided to start this training plan with this physiotherapist to when you went. What was that timeline? The decision to do the projects or the idea I got uh, in February. Okay. Then in March, I informed the, the board. Okay. And I formed the, um, the support team. Uh, we started to have meetings every, every month, monthly meetings. And in August... I, I, I left Switzerland. Wow, so so like this was the months, in this months. time we had to make a web page, spread the news, train to, and then the training, everything. I was still also working. I still had the For the police force. No, 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 no for this you're, organization you're in Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. And and then um, at the same time I was working also for the like the, the strategic planning in the yeah. Philippines and the fundraising activities. So I was very, it was very hectic. Absolutely. What, what was, was the mileage? Hectic. What was the mileage like? So um, I'm going to guess that you had like a training block. So you had a, or, or was it not that regimented? You just had an idea of the amount of mileage per week. What, what was, what did that look like? Just to get a bit granular, like was there a set amount of volume you needed per week in that four month training window? In that four month training, I would like I would do like three to four trainings a, a week. And yeah. what I mainly did, I, I also I do paragliding, oh, so wow. I did a lot of uh, hike and flies, okay. like walking up to the top of the mountain and then flying oh, wow. down. In in Switzerland. In Switzerland, yeah, in in, in where I live in Interlaken, it's, it's perfect for that. Ext um, quite extreme elevation. You're talking like three thousand, yeah. four thousand meter peaks. Yeah, going up and yeah. then fly down, and of course it's good training because you have to to yes. bring your paraglider with you, which is you the have weight. The equipment, everything, so you have some weight. Interesting. And and then um, I I had to do like uh, long, long slow runs, not um, not fast, 
but but do like uh like once a week i would go and do 35 kilometer um running building that aerobic up the the basic um endurance yeah and then i had a interval she let me do some interval also and the interval was mainly with the hike and fly so i would like uh sometimes run higher higher heart rate yeah 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 the high rate and then um down again and she showed me exercises uh which are very important for um how do you call that there is a problem the the achilles Achilles. yes so you you step for example on a on a bench with your with your um uh, the palm of your foot and and you have weight Yes. And then you go up and down like calf raises. I think that's what they do. Calf, like, calf raises. raises, yeah. So that was one of the most important. Um, that makes sense. Uh, exercises. So she showed me specific exercises that would strengthen those parts mm. of my body that were necessary to in to to last for such a long. Um, because she said if if you have uh, an infection of the Achilles then that's it uh, inflammation you'll be you knocked mean, right? out for yeah. inflammation yeah yes. you will be knocked out for 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 months yes can be for months so yeah we have to make sure that this will not happen and she's still like if i if i need advice or if i if there is a problem with my body i can call her and she gives me um she she yeah, on, online she tells me what what I can do. She 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 suggests uh, therapy, or she tells me uh, wait for this amount of time. But problems were in the beginning with my knees. Yes, they got actually swollen and uh, filled with water when I was in the Balkans, after the mountains of Switzerland and Italy. And I said, wow, if this is happening right now. I don't know if I, I mean, I'm just so far <laughs> and it's such a long time to go. So my God, I was really scared and I had to do a, a, a break, several days break in a split. And then the swelling went back uh, and then I thought, my God, how is this going to be? So I had some issues, uh, not in the very beginning, but mm. after some um, two months, I think I, I got some some issues. But then later on, it disappeared, and the, 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 the amazing thing with our body is, the longer we do it, the better it gets. Yeah. So it's not like, uh, first I was afraid, like, okay, th- there will be like, um, how do you call that? Of course, you walk so long, mm. so uh, your body will maybe deteriorate over yeah. time, but it's not true. Your body actually, I feel like twenty now. It's yeah. it's it's like it gets better and better and better over time. And at a certain point, you reach a point where you can literally you can walk fourteen days in a row. You can do every every day forty five kilometers, even in in mountains, and you don't feel any pain. The next morning, you you're just fine. Even when you go to sleep, you there is no muscle pain. There is nothing and. And it's amazing for me to discover my body like this. Mm-hmm. I, I had to, I'm 40 now, but I never knew my body as good as I know it now. And that's an amazing, it's an amazing experience. And I'm even thinking, how will I, when, when I arrive in the Philippines, how will this be? Because I, I cannot stop, I cannot stop moving. 
I think I, I will have to continue so in some way. I will have to find time, you know, for, for hikes, for... I want to continue this. I want to change my lifestyle. I, I want to... In the Philippines, I, I will go to meetings with a bicycle or run there or whatever. I don't want to use the car. It's, yeah. It changes your, 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 your whole mindset. There's like a paradigm shift and you realize, oh, it's very easy actually to do longer distances. I mean, for some people, it's like uh, 10 kilometers is far. Yeah. But what is 10 kilometers? You can, I think now, when, when I visit Switzerland from Zurich, the airport to Interlaken, I might as well just walk. Just this, yeah, I will just take like three days and that's it. <laughs> so you, what you actually need is to give yourself time mm. to do these things. Mm. And um, good thing nowadays with um, social media and everything, I can have meetings while walking. So mm. when I have internet connection, I have board meetings with the Philippines. Um, and I, I already said, uh, why... Why do we always sit in a meeting room to have a meeting? You could actually, I, I told our board members, uh, or also if you have a meeting with the staff, you could actually go for like a five kilometer hike mm. and have the meeting yeah. while hiking. And I mean, you can, for the protocol, you can record it. Mm. It's everything is, is, is possible nowadays. And, and, and I think this is really, um, it's, for, for me, it's, it's, it's life changing. The, the journey in wow. itself so observing the way the body adapts that's something yeah. i really want to tap into as upon observation and um, listening to other people that do ultra ultra endurance races or people that do ultra long runs we have our out for say 70 80 90 days it's not as long as yours but it's more confined into a shorter period because i actually running and that all of them have said the exact same thing you've said, that it's the first, in their case, because it's compressed down and condensed down, in their first week or two, their body absolutely breaks down, almost to the point where they think, how can I do this? And then after that second, third, fourth week, they're stronger than when they started. And in your case, it took two months, but now here you are, stronger than when you started. You don't even feel like a 40-year-old. I think that's a beautiful thing and a testament to the, power of patience and the power of perseverance and taking that first step and continuing even though that there's that initial pain that discomfort that self-doubt yet you still persevere and move forward with patience so i'd really want to talk about that because on this journey you have to be patient so what what can you say to patients and days where you feel that your mind your body I don't know where you're at now, but I imagine there's days where you do not want to be walking. And how do you, I'm, I'm guessing, but how do you confront that? How do you sit with that? How do you move forward through that, that process of patience and acceptance, so to say? Yeah, I think for, for me, uh, what, has been, what, what is more challenging than the physical aspect of the journey is actually the mental so you like like the road I've chosen, I'm oftentimes alone, and I can be alone for many days. Like from from Lebokin to Manali, there were seven eight days I didn't see a single human being because I'm not I'm not following the road. I'm going over passes, um, and and 
of course there are some tourists doing trekkings but these trekkings are those like so two three four days trekkings and short short distances so they are only in specific areas but the the vast uh the, the biggest part of Ladakh, so to say, is empty. <laughs> there are no people. There might be some um, shepherds in some areas, some nomadic people or Buddhist monks. I, I saw that you but, met two Buddhist monks yeah, and yeah, dumbbells yeah. <laughs> and TV and just simple living, just living there in the mountains. And for those listening, Ladakh is the northernmost state of India, bordered with China and Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan. Pakistan, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. So it's it's quite a. How could you explain it? It's like a desert-like ice cap. land, yeah. It's, yeah, deserted, completely deserted. And and um, so that becomes the challenge. So how do you deal with loneliness? Um, you have to get used to listen, sort of listen to your own thoughts, and. To be contented with yourself, being with yourself, and and uh, at times I'm quite good at that, and at times I even like it, I embrace it, but I realized uh, during my journey that I really I'm really a person who likes to socialize, who really likes to I like to be with other people, I like to be alone sometimes for certain amount of time but not really for seven eight days that's uh, it's, it's it's apparently it's, it's it becomes too long for me sometimes so that's really the struggle i i'm, I'm dealing with the, the the physical part as i've said you 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 get used to it and of course when when i came to ladakh or even before in tajikistan the challenge was the altitude my body was not yet um, had not yet adapted to that right. kind of, of mm -hmm. altitude because you will be going over. Uh, it was I was up to almost six thousand meters now and 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 since I do 40, 45 kilometers a day, sometimes you might not just one do one peak. It could be three three peaks a day. So if you have to ascend three times to to that kind of altitude and then with twenty kilo on your back. Mm -hmm. It really slows you down. It's 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 really that is really hard, but but again, the more challenging for me was the this the, the loneliness at times, or when you are at the top of a mountain and lo you look around you and there is no you, you, at the horizon you cannot see a village, you cannot see a house. There is nothing. So of course. It's quite, um, sometimes it, you need nerves. Yeah. And, and I imagine it would be extremely daunting because you're daunting in the sense that you've got this land ahead and you know you're going far, but you look ahead and there's nothing there and you must go to that horizon and yeah. you don't know what's beyond that. And at times you still have this like, um, what if my phone breaks down? What if there is an accident? I mean, the phone breaks down and then how do you navigate? Or if you have an accident, uh, who will come to help you? So these are random thoughts that, uh, that, that come when you are in this situation. Although over time, like when I, when I left Switzerland, my, my um, how do you call that? Uh, my level of comfort yeah. was, was much, much lower mm -hmm. yet. It was like um, over, over after such a long time, 
you your capacity to your enjoy capacity discomfort. To, to, to endure yeah. difficult situations um, your fear reduces it's 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 like uh, when the first nights I spent in my tent in Switzerland it's it's almost like uh, almost a shame to admit it but I, I couldn't sleep the first night I couldn't sleep I was like uh, a, a, a small boy again somewhere in the in a dark forest and lying in my tent trying to sleep and then you would hear these sounds what is this what is this so you, you get there was this fear <laughs> it's, it's like a child almost a childish fear but then after some time this disappears you don't care about any sounds anymore you can sleep um, perfectly well in your tent and then you're also fine suddenly with being alone out there in the in the wilds and you know well i have my equipment so and i walk with every weather so even if in in the mountains even if there is rain even if it starts snowing i i will still continue going and the important thing is that i always know my limits in terms of like uh, okay weather is bad when, yeah. view is bad i cannot see anything any longer yeah. it's time for me to put up an emergency okay. uh, bivouac that's it okay. and then you set up your tent you go inside you go in, into your sleeping bag and you'll be fine and you so just what's wait the feeling until... there what's the feeling there when you encounter that awareness of your limits is it like a you've just got this certainty of knowing like nah this i must i must set an emergency bivy now yeah. is it just like you just know it it's develops over time. Yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah, of what yeah, yeah. I'm I guessing. Had, in Ladakh, I had a situation where, where I actually um, I, I fell down, tumbled down a slope, and, and it was in the night already. And, um, wow. and then I, I realized, okay, uh, why did you... Well, there was a rock was loose, but usually I could have reacted. But I just knew I'm too tired. I was too tired, and I said, okay, this it's time now to... You just descend a bit and, and look for a place where you can put your tent and then you still have enough energy to put up your tent and that's it then you go sleep and so you know you know yeah. you feel your your body you feel whether you're trust imagine you're yeah, trusting yeah, yeah. yourself and, and you don't it's not like in the beginning where you where you become like um where you have this fear because mm. fear is not really i mean um to be pick pre, being precautious is a good thing but having fear is not a good thing fear is an enemy it's not something that helps you you have to think rational and you have to think okay uh time to put up my tent and once you're in, inside your tent you're safe go into your sleeping bag and it's actually quite cozy and you can you can sleep very um very well then um the next morning weather might be good again or you have rested and everything is fine so what's important is that you use where that you know that you are aware when it is time to stop walking and put up your tent and that you have all the things you need i mean you have this material how does that work you. as well when it comes to your food how do you keep up with food how do you keep up with the power with all those like the, the shelter, I guess you said you have a tent, so that's secure. But when it comes to water, when it comes to the eating, I really want to talk about your diet, but I'll leave that for a little later. But when it comes to eating alone, 
how do you have your food with you? Is it just dehydrated foods? Or, you know, is there days where, shit, I got no food? And you have to press on. Like, what do you do in those situations? Mm. How do you? Well, I, first of all, of course, I, I, I plan the next um, part of the trek. Yes. And then when I see, okay, on the map, there is nothing, there's no village, nothing. Uh, I, I, I divide the distance and I, I, I of course, I, I count in the altitude and everything. And I think, okay, how many kilometers can I do per day in this kind of terrain? Okay, it will take me seven days, for example, to, to get across this stretch. And um, there might be no one because on the map you cannot see any, any village, nothing. So I have to have at least food for seven days. So I'd rather take food for okay. nine days. And with food, you want to keep it very um, light. So I go for dry food. I take with me like uh, oats, very good buckwheat, um, dry fruits, mm. uh, nuts, mm. very good. Take with me nuts, noodles, stuff like that. Mm. And sometimes I, I can't be picky because you might be in a village and yeah. you have to just take whatever is available. And I'm traveling low budget, so I don't have money for like uh, super power bars, whatever. Mm. They're very expensive, but it's not really needed. You you can bring with you dry fruits, um, nuts, stuff You're like that. You're getting real slow burning food. Fat yeah, yeah. And, and complex carbs that aren't just quick burning. You're looking like a sustained, it sounds like that's really energy sustaining foods. That's it, yeah. And, and for the first days, I bring with me also some vegetables, which nice. later on, of course, they will be, uh, they will get rotten. Perishable. I, I like to really cook. I, I do uh, one once a day. I Usually in the evening, I cook. I cook What's your meal. setup? Is it kind of just like a, you've got a little gas cooker stove with the pot? Gasoline. Gasoline, yeah. I, I figured out gasoline is, is uh, better because you can buy it at any um, gas station. And if you have the the gas cartridge, yes, like the camping yes. gas thing, it's hard to find sometimes. There are countries you, you won't find that. So for me, gasoline works 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 well. And it's it's um it's a, it's a very small one. It takes some time to, to cook something, but in the evening, after putting up my tent, mm. having my mat uh, inflated and then uh, put my sleeping bag, I have time. I can cook. So I cook in the evening and I cook always uh, an amount of food that it's still enough for, for breakfast. So Good in the one. morning I just put some pour some water in it and I warm it up. Thank so I know. have actually two hot meals a day, evening and, and, and breakfast. Lovely. And during the day, I just, uh, usually when, when I walk, I walk. So that means when I start um, hiking seven o'clock in the morning, I'm not really doing breaks. I will maybe have lunchtime. I will maybe have like a five, 10 minute break maximum. And the rest of the time I'm literally walking. I, I don't really interrupt my, um, my walking. So I, I will just eat some nuts and dry fruits every now and then while, while on the walk. And there's another uh, interesting thing when it comes to our body. Like when I started the journey, I needed really a lot of food. I, I ate a lot of food and, and if I missed on eating food, 
then I experienced several times I experienced like uh, almost a breakdown because of lack of um, nutrients. lack of uh, nutrients yeah calories lack of calories and that's uh, I mean it's very bad you yes. can't even you can hardly carry your back you have to lay down and, and it, it, it I remember one time in in um, in, in in Croatia it knocked me out for for 48 hours I, I just had to sleep and, and rest and we're in Croatia uh, that was in the Velebit channel okay uh, it's along the coast the Dalmatian coast is it the one that's opposite mm, yeah opposite, uh, Italy yeah that yeah strip? that one yeah, that I'm actually one. from there you're from yeah, there? Yeah, wow. from there. Yeah, parent, both parents. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. So I thought you're from... Close to home. Well, born in New Zealand. New but Zealand, yeah, yeah. Immigrant, in a way. From, from that from area. From Croatia, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> so that's where you broke down. <laughs> that's where I broke the, down. In the homeland. Totally, yeah. It, it the happened homeland. two, three times. That was really oh, wow, bad. Oh, wow, wow. And um, it's... Now, for a long time, it never happened again. And, and it somehow um i i need much less food like wow. now that i'm resting in manali i eat more yeah. when i'm walking i don't eat much i it's it's just small amounts and and um i during walking i really use lose weight so that what the body actually does it it's so it sort of learned how to burn the fat i was just gonna say it's, that it's that's it's, what's happened your body yeah. your body is in a state of um you could say ketosis but fat oxidation which is one of the most efficient fuel sources especially in your case for such a sustained slow long journey your body's like carbs aren't going to be what's good here because you're not doing high energy well you will in moments but high spurt heart rate activities where you're requiring all your um glycogen you're going to require fat which is slower burning and that makes sense because fat is more satiating and it's more calorically dense than carbohydrates and protein so it's it's yeah. fascinating to hear this because i'm aware of this from science research but hearing it from you anecdotally proves the point but it took some time for the body to, to learn that because uh, yes. in in the beginning uh, it, 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 i think that the fat burning process in the beginning is very um it's it's energy consuming yeah. yes but but now the body is at the stage where it can actually easily it just switches to wow. burning fat so i don't eat much and then when i rest for a couple of days in a place like Manali, I stuff myself. Like I eat a lot, I, I fatten up, and then You're when I walk way. again, <laughs> I'm, I'm burning the stuff. It's it's something like uh, because when I'm walking now, I I don't feel the. It's not only I don't feel if if I feel the need, okay, I eat, but but it's it's I, I don't have much appetite. Mm. I just like um, walking and eating a little bit, but but not much. So it's. For me, it's so fascinating what, what, what is happening within my, within my body yes. over the course of these, these months. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, our bodies are, are capable of um, miraculous things. It's, it's, and a lot of people, they, they, uh, and for me, this is like, like uh, I told the, the kids when we had like um, online meeting, like some of our students, um, I told them that the hiking and enduring all these things, it's also, it, it, it reflects somehow also the, 
the the journey we had in our organization it, it, it again it, it comes to uh, you have to believe in it you have to believe in yourself you have to believe in your capability to do something and then when you experience hardships you just don't give up you you fall stand up you continue going and and uh, so I think for me uh, I, I said to our team I, I'd like to have uh, when I'm back in the Philippines I'd like to conduct also longer hikes with with our with our young people because it really um, teaches you so many lessons you're just walking but you can learn so much from it yeah. and the most important lesson it teaches you perseverance you don't you don't give up you you have your goal you want to go there and you will reach that as long as you don't give up as long as you continue going and that was also one of the realizations like when i started off in switzerland the first days i remember i was like oh my god what have i got myself into i how can i do this it's so far it's so far and then you start to think not about the whole distance just think about the distance for the day don't think about 15,000 kilometers because it will drive you crazy but you just think of what you can do for the day and then you do that and suddenly you realize wow I've done two-thirds of it I'm now in, in, in the middle of India and, and uh, I'm getting there and then you become more convenient you know uh, and not more convenient convinced. More, more convinced yeah you you know hey I can do it I, I am doing it it's I'm getting there yeah. it's no question what can you say to that because you, you brought up an amazing point about how it's symbolic that hiking is kind of a representation of life. So you have that process, the journey, and you learn so much. You go up to these immense highs and you have to encounter these immense lows. And what you brought up just then is focusing on the process, yet in life, we as human beings, just to kind of stem it out a bit more, is that we in life, people have goals and there's people that don't have goals. And people that tend to have goals and are very driven, they tend to always focus on the end point. But that can be very detrimental because you're not focusing on the moment. You're not actually in the process of getting to that end point. And you could say that you're essentially depriving yourself of reality now because you're just focused on the end point. You're not even in the moment of your life experience, mm. which is happening now. So how do you? what can you talk to about that, about the process and understanding that? Yes, there's an endpoint, but the destination is kind of the it's it's the whole journey is the destination. The journey is the destination. Yeah. yeah, that's it, and and I think that's the that's the challenge we're confronted with when we do something like this or in whatever we do in life. I think it's really important that we always set goals. I I need that. Like in my life, I whenever I know when I arrive in the Philippines, I will think about the next thing to do there has to be a goal so goals are very important but we should not all the time i mean we have those goals and we know we're getting there but then we should focus on the journey itself not not always on the on the goal that's what i i know i will go to the philippines that's the goal i will arrive there but i'm not all the time thinking about that i'm thinking about the here and now so it's like living living in, in, in the present and it's like 
enjoying the journey because it is enjoyable. It's not just hardships. It's like uh, you have to leave your, you're leaving your comfort zone, of course. You have to endure hardships. But by doing so, you along the way, you will always again uh, also uh, experience um, not just like great adventures. It's, it's like, um, how do you call that? Like climax. You will have climaxes along the way. So sometimes we need to leave our comfort zone and endure hardships in order to get to a climax. That's, that's the point. And, and some people, they, they might not set the goal in the first place. And then they don't, they don't also like to leave their comfort zone. They, f they think like, uh, oh no, it's, um, you know, I, I, this is what I'm used to and that's it. But then there will be no surprises also. So for me, enduring hardships also offer chances. They offer chances to experience extraordinary things, to, to experience like um, very fulfilling moments. So it... It's like, it's a yin and yang. It's, it, there has to be like, uh, you have to have both. You cannot just be comfortable all the time. Sometimes you need to endure uh, hardships. Sometimes you, there will be suffering. But there will be also rewards along the way. And, and I think uh, these rewards are, are worthy the, the in enduring the hardships. And it's the same in our organization. I mean, we, we, had, um, we had a lot of, hurdles to overcome and, and even on a level um, with within the board, with the co-founder, foundress, we had uh, conflicts, we didn't always agree, we didn't always understand each other, um, and um, but the point is we endured it, we didn't give up, nobody left, nobody said, uh, oh, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm gone, because then you're really losing it. When, 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 you, when you give it away, that's it. Mm. And I think in this journey too, I, I mean, I have moments, I had moments in Ladakh, I, I was cursing myself and everything, and I was shouting from the top of the mountain, and I said, it's enough, I, I gotta quit this shit, <laughs> really. I was really, I was very emotional, and, and, and I said, what is this good for? But then, you know, it's like a ventile, you, you, leave, you let it out and then it's good. And you walk down to the valley, go to the next peak and you realize, okay, I'm fine now. <laughs> so it's like, uh, it's like life. It reflects like life. life. It reflects life. It's, it's exactly what I encountered when I did the Santiago de Compostela is just what you said. Shorter journey, still immense in the scheme of things. That every single day was this new mountain, so to say, was this new opportunity, was this new encounter. And you're going to have moments where you have to constantly embrace and accept that this is your reality. And some days I don't want to fucking accept that, but you must, otherwise, you're never going to get to your point. And understanding and accepting that that's part of it gave this deep peace. It gave this deep serenity. Mm. And I imagine for you in, in that process in Ladakh that that becomes like another, you could say another little um, asset in your tool belt, another part in your utility belt where you're like, okay, 
I remember that moment in Ladakh where I wanted to call it in and you could almost tap into that now. It becomes kind of like your little secret code, like a, like a cheat code. So that's something I'd love to just quickly talk about. And by the way, I don't want to take up too much of your time if it's okay. Uh, but that's still got, I'm yeah, available now. Amazing. Um, <laughs> when it comes to self-doubt and that discomfort and embracing it, you touched on it before, but I'd like to go deeper into that and, how you came to this place um, of acceptance where you must encounter discomfort, you must encounter suffering and a deep teaching within Buddhism, what Buddha taught was that life is suffering and that in this journey, which right now is your life because it's, it's presently your reality, that there is suffering and how do you, how do you embrace that and how do you accept that? And when it comes to the self-doubt, how do you navigate that? It sounds like you did that in Ladakh, but I'd like to just know a bit deeper as to how that process unfolds for you. Yeah, I think, of course, there's the realization life is suffering. Life is also beautiful. And, and one thing um, I... I, I, I tell myself when I'm in a stage of, of suffering, then I, I keep telling myself, well, this is now, this is temporarily, this is not forever. And there will come a better time again. There will be better moments again. And, and um, I think I sort of learned that from my grandmother. She said that uh, if you feel, if you are in, in such a stage, you just never give up, just continue going. And think about, uh, t tell yourself that um, after this, there will be greener pastures again. There will be light again. So as long as you have that hope, I think you can go on. And of course, along the way, you also have people who actually sometimes unexpectedly they show up. Or it's like in this deserted village with the two monks it was not my best it, it was really not my best day i was like uh, walking for many days already and i was alone and and then I, I i knew okay there is a village and i was excited for that up on the arrival there no one is there i said oh my god there's no store there is no there is no one here and then I saw the the temple, small, very small Buddhist temple, and and then a guy was there, coming out of the of the temple, and I felt like okay, let's go there. There is a person, so I was excited again. Well, there is one one person, and when I reached the place, okay, it's these two monks, and they invited me immediately to to stay overnight. They cooked for me. I didn't have to cook. And then we watched a, a movie on, the, on their on their flat screen television, which was very. Can you talk and, about that too? I thought that was a beautiful description in your that Instagram post, which I read about that movie. Uh, yeah, the the yeah. movie is a uh, so imagine I am in the middle of nowhere with two Buddhist monks. Uh, to my surprise, they have dumbbells and they have a flat screen television with satellite, and in the evening. The two Buddhist monks and I, we watch a movie, uh, a Bollywood movie, about the mute Pakistani girl, 
a mute Muslim Pakistani girl that gets lost in a, during a train ride through India, and and the Hindu now takes care of the girl and his family. They they are trying to help the girl, but they in the in the, in the beginning they they didn't realize she's from Pakistan because she's mute, and they ask her all kinds of places like Manali Le and the girl just shakes the head no she's not from any of these places but they never mentioned Pakistan and then when they watch uh, after a long time and many um, happenings in the in, in, in the in the movie uh, they watch a cricket game India versus Pakistan and Pakistan is winning the game and everybody is mad but the girl is excited and uh, goes to the screen and kisses the Pakistani flag and then the, sh the family is like shocked and, and uh, what is this and and then the, so the Hindu then asks the girl um, Pakistan and then she yeah 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 she's from Pakistan so then uh, he tries to bring her to Pakistan to look for her family which is which, which appears to be very difficult because as a as a guy from India, Hindu from India, he cannot just go to Pakistan, and so it's that's the would be a long story then. But eventually they make it to Pakistan and they find her family. So it it's such a a nice transcultural message in that movie, like uh, peace peace building. It's a peace building message in that movie. And I'm watching it with two Buddhist monks, and it's just like oh, it was perfect um, evening, and I didn't expect this to happen. So, it I, I had a bad day, and then I came to this village and was actually excited because I thought there are people, then there was no one, so I was down again, even more down than before because now even my expectation like there is someone was not like uh, met, and um, then I was really depressed. But then I see these monks and they invite me and, and it's it's like and we watch this movie and I don't understand the word, but it's beautiful. It's it's like uh, I felt so I I don't know how to say it, it's I was just happy. In that moment with these guys, with this movie, a Bollywood movie. Never so if if you stay at home and and you may watch this movie. Okay, it's nice, but you cannot feel the excitement I felt. Absolutely. I tell you, I think this was the best movie ever. <laughs> in in this situation, yeah. it be, it turned out to be the the best movie ever. It's it's like uh, uh, so. These are the these are moments you will never forget. You treasure it in 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 your heart. Um, and the company of these monks, of course, after much loneliness. I was so happy to be with them. They're total strangers to me. I'm a total stranger to them, but we have this common, I mean, it's it's like um, we felt. The humanity. This, the humanity, yeah. And, and, and I think on this journey, uh, if, you, if you embark on a journey like this, you make yourself very, very vulnerable because you will, along the way, you will have to accept uh, help from strangers. You will sleep in the places of strangers. You will meet so many people along the way and, and you're actually making yourself vulnerable. I mean, you are in foreign countries, uh, you are in areas where there might be even um, conflicts and a lot of people back in Switzerland, they think it's very, it could be dangerous, this could happen to you, that could happen to you. It's because our minds 
tells us, like from looking at our smartphones, where 99.9% of the news are bad. There was killing here, murder here, um, war here and there. So what we think is, if we go on a journey like this, it's, there, it's dangerous. Something could happen. Someone could murder us. Someone could abduct us. Um, but then what I realized so far, I, I haven't arrived in the Philippines yet, but uh, all the way from Switzerland to India, 99.9% .9 of my experiences are positive and people are helpful and making yourself vulnerable opens the, the chances for other people, for strangers to be kind to you. And that's really amazing. And, and, and I, I'm so glad that I'm doing this. It's, it's, um, I got so many realizations. And, and another thing is, if you go to the only countries I've visited before were Switzerland and Italy along my, my road. Wow. And the Philippines, of course. But all the other countries in between. So we are talking about uh, 18 countries I've never been before. And I had some stereotypes about certain countries. There were some countries like India. I was not excited for India, actually, to be all honest, because I heard things from other people. Told me uh, India is like this and that, and uh, the food, and you will, you will be shitting your bed full the first day you are there because of the unhygienic... Um, conditions and and people will uh, they want to touch you they will be around you blah 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 they so i had a bad image and i told myself well let's go there and see but i was not so excited for india and then when i arrived in india it's totally different of course i don't know how it is in the south i haven't been there but i'm in the north of india so first realization india is very diverse mm -hmm. India has Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, uh, all kinds of, of different of people, a lot of Christians too. And also the people I met from the South who were traveling in the North, all very nice people, <coughs> interested in what I'm doing, very supportive. Some made a donation right away. And it's in many countries it's like that. When, when, when I went to Tajikistan, some some people um, in my inner circle, they, they were like, uh, oh, you shouldn't go there because there was some abduction years ago and, and um, tourists were, were killed by, 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 by some rebels. But I mean, this was one incident in how many years and this can happen to you anywhere. I mean, you can be in a terror attack in Paris or, or, or even New Zealand. It, it happened. So we have to set our minds free from all that from all these informations you don't really need that you just have to you go and then you experience yourself and i'm sure uh, the experience is always will be very different from what we thought it would be and in a positive way at least that's what i experienced and i in tajikistan it's the most hospitable country i've ever been to I mean, in Tajikistan, people would, everybody would invite me for tea, for food, to sleep over, 
they didn't they didn't even want to have any any money for it and and in the morning what i would usually do i would give them some some money because i also wanted to give something back and for us it's not so much for them it's quite an amount and they wouldn't accept it so what i started to do is just leave it on the table or you know open their hand and put it inside and close their hand something like that so uh, but it's so beautiful you could you could walk across tajikistan without a single dollar in your in your pocket and and you would survive you would have a bed you would have food you would have tea it's it's amazing all of central asia and and central asia uh, at least in, in Switzerland and uh, among some of my friends, it had a bad reputation. Nobody is interested to go to Central Asia. All, all based on what now I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About what, the media sees. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's beautiful. It's mm. it's 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 amazing and and wow. so the. But, again, <laughs> it's leaving your comfort zone. Make yourself vulnerable. Sleeping in a tent is making yourself vulnerable going on a journey like this is making yourself it has to we have to make ourselves vulnerable in order to be able to experience the the kindness of of, of other people and i think we should do that more often absolutely in in, in the west definitely we, we are so used to you know you, you you go inside your house you lock your door we have it's, everything we need in a tent you do not lock your door yes. and it's not needed yes it's it's the chances that somebody will harm you are really, I think they are very minimal. Yes. It's, it's, it's my, of course, that's a su subjective um, experience, experience yes. I have. I cannot prove that, but come on. Most of the people are actually good and they mean well. And the problem is we focus on all the negative stuff. That's the problem. That the media feeds us with all the negative things happening but if there is something negative happening in in a place like tajikistan there are millions billions of positive things happening yeah. at the same time it's just one, so it's just one one, one minute exactly exactly and and um i mean so so what do people there there are there are lots of people especially in the, in the west i feel they try to yeah, we try to control everything. Yes. We want to be very safe all the time, but we are not. We are not safe all the time. And maybe cancer will hit you. And, and you come to realize, wow, cannot do anything about it. It's, it's like... Um, it's a perpetual pursuit of trying to have control. Yes, and yes. control is an absolute illusion. Which we don't have. We don't have. We don't have. With your poor mother, with that poor child in the Philippines that got was subjected to abuse, yeah. to the Indian man that's born in a, the slums, to the rich man that's born in extreme wealth. We've got no control. In We've got no control, no. And then we try to safeguard ourselves by what? By isolating ourselves. Mm. But we should open up ourselves and embrace being part of the whole thing. That's that's what we ought to do. Because there's no... We cannot uh, guarantee that nothing happens to us tomorrow. But if we see ourselves as part of the whole thing, of the whole of humanity, and, and 
no matter whether we know a person or not, we try to reach out to the person, we, we, we be kind to the person. Like that's one thing I realized when I'm back in, in the Philippines or even if, I, if I'll be in Switzerland, wherever I am, I want to open my doors even more for strangers. If I see a, a guy um, walking with a, with, a, with a bag on a trek, whatever, I might, just, I might really ask him, do you need something? Can I, can I give you a, can I invite you for lunch, whatever, because that's what was given to me, that's what I experienced, and I want to give it back. I want to have open doors for, for people, and I think that is really, it's so essential that, that, that we understand that, that we are part of, we are all one, we are part of this whole humanity, and, and, and uh, we ought to be kind to one another no matter whether we know each other for a long time or not. That's it. We ought, we ought to yeah, love your next as you love yourself. These principles you can find in in any religion actually you can find it. In, 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 in whether so that's the that's the other thing. Um, be transcultural. Don't be afraid of it's like lose your fear of, of um, like okay, they are different. No, they are actually not. We are all human beings. And I think when we uh, respect one another and one another's beliefs, uh, we can still come together as one. Mm -hmm. and, and I have, across all cultures, coming from... How many countries have you been through? Uh, now I've been through 15. Wow. I think 15, yeah. And um, the duration, you've walked, what, 9,000 kilometers, you were saying? Yeah, 9,000. No. And that's 13 months? 13 months. Wow. Just about 7,000 more kilometers to go. Yeah, but... but five, five, I think, five. yeah. Wow. It's... it's uh, and it just, it just, this is what, this is what I'm hearing from this journey, and this is almost the distillation of this journey is in your humanity you're seeing humanity for what it is you're actually encountering humanity face on and in that encountering it's nothing but beauty and positivity when you get rid of the clutter and the noise from people from the media from all the distractions and when you embrace it yes it can be uncomfortable and suffering is there which as part and parcel of it but underneath that there's this beautiful harmony and that's just what I'm hearing from this and I think that in itself could just be the of this conversation is that you're you're you've become that teacher for me and I think for the listener is the humanity is all there even in the most dire of situations even in the most darkest of situations there's always going to be that little light or even if you're in the darkest of rooms, that little light will emit that dark room. And that's what seems to be just emanating from you and from this whole pursuit, this whole pilgrimage. There's one more question that I'm really curious to ask, and it's something that I ask myself daily, um, nearly, nearly, is meaning, the idea of meaning and what meaning means, your own meaning, like meaning in life and how to pursue that. It sounds like, and from what I'm witnessing, is that you are in that state of pursuing what's meaningful, but what does that mean? 
<laughs> what does that mean? Um, I think I just, in, in life, in, in general, I, I just love to do meaningful things. It might not be meaningful for some people, but it gives meaning to my life. And, and I'm not after, I think I was never after big, big um, salary or, or rich, riches. I, 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 I actually love to work uh, without receiving something for it. It's, 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 I, I just, what gives meaning to my life is I think when I can serve people and I can serve humanity in, in some way. And, and um, I like to see, uh, for example, our children in the Philippines, what gives me the greatest joy? The greatest joy I have when I can see them uh, fulfilling their dreams, whatever their dreams might be. If I can just see them being happy, that, that makes me happy. If I can see them graduating, um, you know, becoming more uh, equipped than I am, more, I don't know, educated, more intelligent, more, I, I, I'm happy to see them. And if I was able to do even a small contribution to, to that, then that, that fulfills me, that's fulfilling. If I can, even if I can say a kind word to a person and, and this person, because of that, will be uh, inspired to, to start off something or, or will be inspired to finish his or her education. Like there was not so long ago, I got the message from, uh, from a young woman and uh, she was once part of our program, but uh, they moved away and she dropped out and I didn't know what happened to her. And then she said she, she was living on the dumping side as a, as, a, as a little girl. And then she told me that uh, she actually finished senior high school and she wanted to proceed to college and whether we are still willing to maybe help her with that. And I said, yeah, of course, but how comes that you were able to, to finish senior high school? I mean, you left us when you were like um, 12. And then from there we lost um I mean we we didn't know what happened to her. But then she said, Yeah, but it was because uh in the first place you showed me that education is important for me. And whenever I was absent, you would come to the dumping site and, and look for me and tell my mother that she should send me to, to school. And so that planted something in her that later on, she told me all her siblings, they actually stopped going to school and her parents, they didn't really see education as something important. They didn't realize the importance of it. And she, uh, after leaving us and they moved to another place, she insisted, she said, I'm going to school no matter what. And she had to find ways to you know, sell some um, sour mango or something like that to just get some some income to, to 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 buy herself school supplies and stuff like that. But she 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 had this perseverance. She continued going to school, and and she she said it's because of of what what we taught her. It's because of us going there and telling her 
that where are you? You should be in school. And so she understood that. And so sometimes it's not even our uh, financial help. It's not even our, you know, giving food or whatever. It can be mere words just by telling someone, I believe in you. And I do that always. I, it's something that annoys me sometimes in the education system, even in Switzerland, um, that there is a tendency that educators focus on the, you know, things the the, the, the student is not good at. Mm. Look, you, you are lacking something here, like you're not good in math, whatever. Yeah. You have this or that problem. Why focus always on the problem? Why not focus on the capacity of people and, 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 and telling them, I believe in you, you can do it. Because that actually encourages people to go the extra mile. I mean, also on my journey, who were the people inspiring me? It's people who were kind towards me. It's people who helped me in difficult situation. It's people who told me, just keep going. You will make it. And, and, and that's what I love to do, like inspiring people, especially, of course, our children in the Philippines also, to, to go that extra mile and by telling them, I believe in you. Not by telling them, oh, I think you can't do it because you love this and that. No, we are, every single human being, I think, is capable of enormous things. If he just believes in his capabilities and, and if he doesn't give up. And that's the message I want to um, give to our young people. You can do it. You can do everything. You just have to start doing it. That's the thing. You start doing it and then you start work. with the first step. Yeah. I don't know. So that gives meaning to me. <laughs> Giving meaning to other people's lives, I think, is, is, is the greatest joy for me. Yeah. It's, 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 um, and and I, I hope that uh, through this journey as well, it's just walking, but I hope that I can be an inspiration as well to other people with the simple act of walking. <laughs> it's, it's the most uh, simple act actually for a human being. I mean, we are born to walk. Absolutely. This is not supposed to be something extraordinary. Yeah. This is something we were doing over centuries and, 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 and even thousands of years. And we just, um, nowadays it has become something extraordinary because we are so used to, to sit in cars and, yes. and airplanes. And, but actually I, I, I hope that um, through this, for our young people, for our staff in the Philippines, for I can hopefully I can inspire them to also uh, walk more. Yeah. You know, don't take public transport. You can walk there. Just take that time, and it's a beautiful thing. When you walk, you can see so many things. You will see the the world, or even your own village, in a, in a very different uh, in a very different way because you are slow. You can observe everything. When you sit in a car, you know, landscapes, everything just flies by and you don't experience it. It's, it's like you are, you're in this capsule, though you have window, windows, you don't experience actually your, your journey. But when you walk, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Amazing, Tom, amazing. 
Um, <laughs> Talking too much. Uh, it's beautiful. This is exactly what we needed it for. And um, this, um, I'm going to ask the question, but this in itself is why I do what I do, is what you just said, service. I, I love to provide something to people and to myself as we navigate this journey of life and these conversations tend to do that so bumping into you was no coincidence so it's beautiful to hear that that's such a foundational uh, pillar to your being um, and for the organization because we'll have to wrap this up now <laughs> we've both got precious time yeah, yeah. but this has been an amazing conversation is where can people find both the instagram the island kids website uh, links for supporting and just any information where people are willing to look deeper and explore more about this amazing pursuit that you are on Sure. Uh, well, you can find us on our webpage. It's www.islandkids.ch. Okay. So, um, C as in... Um, C for Charlie. Charlie, yeah. yeah. H for house. H for house, yeah. So, um, and then Instagram is Island Kids Philippines. Great. As well. And your one? Great. You've got your own one? That's my own one. That's the I, personal one. Yeah, I wanted one. to, um, you call that, promote the organization. So I, I, I didn't have an Instagram before. Okay. I just, I'm, I'm sort of a newbie on social media. You seem to have it I, down locked, man, because your stuff's very engaging. It's, <laughs> it's, so I'll, I'll provide all these links in the show notes for people. Cool. So it's all there yeah. for people to just click and go and navigate. And to those listening, um, I'm going to do the same. I'm traveling right now, so budget-wise, I'm not um, exactly that abundant. But when I'm going to go back, and I think anyone listening that feels the pull, please just support this cause because, as you've heard from this conversation, there's every reason to support this cause and to support something that's bigger than us and... Tom is exemplary of that. And um, yeah, I thank you. And I thank you for your time and wish you a more safe and often risky and often painful journey to the Philippines. And I'd thank love you. to um, yeah, keep in touch with you and yeah. maybe even follow up once you've reached the destination. Sure, yeah, yeah. That'd be amazing. It's not too far from New Zealand. Yeah, well, nah. it's, well it's not, relative, <laughs> relative speaking to what you've traveled, it's yeah. not that far. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you would like to just bring up, you know, to those, I don't want to take it too much away from the, the cause for the NGO, but just to those that feel stuck and feel that they're not living meaningfully and not living intentionally, or they've got a goal or they have an aim, but they haven't taken the first step. What comes up? What could, what could you suggest? What could you share? to that person yeah I, I believe most of us have dreams and and i was called by i know in elementary school my teacher he 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 used to throw uh, erasers to my face and uh tell me stop dreaming or yeah i was calling me a dreamer but i think he never realized that actually every big thing starts with a dream and I had lots of dreams and they never materialized, but uh, I'm sure you guys, you have lots of dreams too. And my advice is uh, pick the one that you are most, um, 
what do you call that? The most passionate, the, the most, most driven by, passionate, fueled by, yeah, yeah, inspired. But, 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 but you are most um, passionate for yeah. doing and, and just take the first step, start doing it. You cannot lose anything, actually. Yeah. We can only win. It's, it's, that, that's, I think that's the thing. Uh, a yeah. lot of people have very good plans, very good dreams, and they just don't, they just lack the courage to do it. And, and, and um, I think they can do it. So for everybody who is listening, I believe in you, you can do it. Mm. Just take the first step and, and uh, you will realize you're not alone in this. There will be people around you and they will support you. Maybe people you have not expected to be in this. Maybe total strangers, but something will, will, will come up. Mm. Something always happens. It's like, it's like being on this journey, you you don't expect something to happen and then there it is. There are two monks or a, a guy. Just one last thing, I, I was walking the desert and it's just like desert, 500 kilometers of desert and I only had water and I was so fed up of water and, and I was dreaming of a, of, a, of a bottle of Coke or just a can of cold Coke. And 10 minutes after me graving for a Coke, a truck stops and he gives me a one liter bottle of Coke out of his refrigerator. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, uh, it's sometimes you long for something, you wish for something and it, it seems to be impossible that you get it, but then it happens. It's, it's maybe the, the pilgrim's luck or I don't know, but I think, Whatever you do, whatever your dream is, um, it can be also sort of a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is not just walking. We also have it a spiritual pilgrimage. We, and, and we have our dreams, things we wanted to, to happen in our lives. And I think once you decide to, to pursue these dreams, then amazing things will happen. Beautiful. You heard it, people. Take that first step. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I wish you, yeah, as I said, a safe rest of your journey. Uh, and anything that I can do in any way, like spreading through my media platforms and what, what have you, I'll, I'll do just that. Just reach out and, yeah, thanks so much for your time, brother. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Well, over and out, people. I love you and speak soon. Well, well, well. How did we go, team? How did you find that? What did you think? What moved you? What inspired you? What compelled you to do something of the same vein? Maybe not to the same extent because having the ability to move for 24 months isn't exactly something that we all have the privilege to do. So... Yep, Tom is an absolute inspiring and very moving and motivating man and I was so honoured to be able to discuss and explore his reasonings and his whys for doing such a feat. I really loved how we got to talk about so much of the NGO because that was a real impetus for this journey of his so we really got to explore that and I'm grateful that that was a real chunk of the conversation because at the end of the day, the reason he is doing this is not for himself, it's really for this 
organization for raising awareness for these kids, these kids that are victims to abuse and these kids that are victim to the impoverished society that they live in. It is just the way that life is and it's a hard thing to really break down and figure out why you know we always ask these questions why why this why that why is it that everyone is poor why is it that we can't feed the world it's just these deep questions that are so far out of reach but having people like this that are doing and making these micro steps it is moving the needle in the right direction to where the society and where the global collective can go as a whole so for that i'm so grateful to tom and he is currently in around, he would be past Manali, he's out of Manali, so he'll be making his way east. I'll be following up with him and I'd love to update you guys as to where he is at, but I'm, I'm aware of that. We This conversation was recorded about three weeks ago, so he's three weeks past Manali, but obviously on foot. <clears throat> so he's doing well, but... I'm super curious as to hear what you guys thought of this conversation, what stood out. For me, I was so, um, so happy that we got to talk about the nutrition side because that's something that I so dearly um, hold of importance to myself and my journey and getting to talk about that and how he feels himself is, yeah, very important. And one thing that I actually forgot to ask him was how it worked for him with water and how it worked with him for power. So just to fill you in, basically for him to power all his tools and his bones, etc., he basically uses this mighty, robust power bank. So that answers that question. When it comes to water, he basically filled, when he did the massive crossing along Le in Ladakh, which is basically a desert, he had what kind of like a, a mountain buggy baby stroller that he filled up with 20 litre plus of water that he just had rolling along with him. So those were two questions that I forgot to ask that I wanted to address now in this outro, just so you guys weren't scratching your head as to how the heck he was able to quench his thirst because that would be the first thing you would want to ask. So yes, uh, anyway, I really hope the conversation moved you and inspired you because it sure as heck did for me and if you wish to want to support the NGO or find out any more I will provide all of that in the show notes all the links for his fundraising tab and how you can get to know more about his amazing journey thanks so much all for tuning in it means a lot as always I love you all and stay living in service as this man is because he is a exemplary beacon of this notion much love keep moving keep breathing i love you all